Welcome to the MRX Influencers Podcast, where you come for the insights, but stay for the good times. I'm Dan Fleetwood, and on this podcast, I chat with the best and brightest minds in the research space. On this episode, I chat with Jonathan Hawkins from Anthrolytics around digital empathy and predictive behavioral analytics. So without further ado, let's get right into the conversation. Yeah! Hey, Jonathan, welcome to the show. I love coming into a chair. Thanks, guys. <laughs> we are the ultimate woo team. <laughs> yeah. Your company, um, Anthrolytics, you want to give a brief explanation on that and then sort yeah. of maybe what digital empathy is all about? Yeah, absolutely. So, so um, yeah, we're a new company in a, in a new category, really, in terms of digital empathy. Um, we're focused on giving companies the data that they need to create empathetic experiences, marketing, communication strategies in an increasingly digital world. And I think this, you know, this question about empathy is is uh, is a really big one. It's very often used, obviously, in terms of you know leadership and employees, but you know, ultimately, people are people. And we all wanted to be treated. We all want to be treated empathetically. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I think really until you know, I, I've got an amazing team on board with, frankly, more PhDs. There, I think I'm probably one of the few who doesn't have a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, uh, you know, so I, I do feel a bit dim sometimes. I have to say, but uh, you know, they, they, they've created this amazing solution by really combining behavioural and data science to allow companies to predict the emotional response to events or sequences of events mm. and linking that to the subsequent behavior that a customer is likely to take. Right. And of course, because you can now link emotions to behaviors and events, you can now link that to measurable outcomes such as, let's say, reduction in retention, increased revenue. So very much the traditional sort of metrics that every CX program, if you like, is trying to achieve. Mm. Um, but of course, now we've been able to do it linked back to the individual behavior, which has a far stronger correlation than many other ways of doing this. And um, and I think the important thing is with what the guys have come up with is that we're able to do this for every customer every day. So we're not reliant on somebody having contacted you or you having interacted with somebody. You know, we're able to provide this emotional score on every customer. And um and that's what we mean when we talk about digital empathy and, and allowing organizations to operate a digital empathy program at scale. Because okay. I think it's one thing when you think about empathy, and we tend to think that, look, I walk into the corner shop, the guy knows me, and he's empathetic, and so on and so forth. But right, right. right you're a major bank with 60 million customers, right? Well, how do I, <laughs> how do I create that at scale through digital yeah. And so that's really right. what we're trying to solve at Anthrolytics. Okay, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I understand that. How, what sort of, I guess, in terms of digital empathy, what are you measuring? Are you measuring, you mentioned like interactions at certain um, transactions and things. Is that, so are you measuring like, okay, based on this transaction, they felt happy or whatever those emotions are. Yeah. And then you're obviously predicting their future behavior based on previous ha- can you give a brief explanation on how sure. you guys are looking at that? Sure, absolutely. And I, and I think it's important to say at this point, look, there, there are lots of solutions on the market which will predict emotion. And that's kind of not the clear bit of what we're doing, right? There, okay. are, yeah. there, are, there are speech technologies, there's NLP, NLU, there's a whole bunch of you know, great companies who are doing that kind of work. And, mm-hmm. and I think what we're doing is taking that to the next level. Okay, so, so in terms of, you know, what does a company need to do this? It's, it's pretty much what any company of, of scale will have already. Um, 
So, yeah, they'll typically have surveys. I mean, certainly, you know, all the question pro clients will do in, in the majority. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The majority of you know, major organizations have surveys with verbatims. And so what we do is we use that as the, uh, the mechanism to start building the emotional models and the emotional personae. Mm. Um, and now, and now we can say, okay, well, Crystal, Crystal experienced this, said this about it, and we can start building out emotional models of people like Crystal, people like Dan. Mm. We then use, we, we build that as a model. We then use operational data so that we don't have to, you know, rely on you having contacted us and rely on you having left another verbatim. We use the operational data around the event or sequence of events to predict what you're likely to do next. And um, and, I, and I think it's really interesting that, you know, I think people have been talking about this kind of stuff for years. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think a lot of companies have tried it in a way that really tries to, you know, identify what exact emotion is Dan feeling at the moment or Jonathan or Crystal. It's virtually impossible to do, right? I mean, you right. can... You know, I mean, with the best one in the world, you know, none of us, you know, as good as we are, can predict exactly what you're feeling now. Um, however, what we can do is sacrifice a little bit of accuracy for usability. And, and I think mm. if you start taking that approach to it from a machine learning perspective, it, I cease to have to worry about, you know, the segment of one, and I, and I start being able to use a, a segment of people that I can bucket into likely behavioral groups. So that's how we think about it. So it's it's very much data that everybody's got, right? It's it's verbatims, it's operational data, transactional data, yeah. um, and uh, and I'm saying we build that on a on an emotional build an emotional score for everyone, and right. uh, that's how you you start running the the data play out at scale. Okay, that makes sense. So each person essentially in their database or CRM or what or whatever for a company gets a certain score, and then based on that. What sort of actions are you doing differently based on different scores, or what? Are, what are you recommending that that companies do? Yeah, some of this, a couple of examples, Dan, and um, and I think sort of use cases, if you like. I mean, one of the, one of yeah. the keys is that you're trying to you're trying to not interrupt your customer, right? I mean, we're all sick of getting a variety of you know sales pitches and what have you at times when we either don't like a brand, we don't care, you know, or frankly, we're just ambivalent, which honestly is most of us. We pretty much. <laughs> Exactly. All right. I mean, you know, really, and I think this is one of the other key things. I'll get back to the use case in a minute, but you know, I think you start thinking about how consumers have changed, and you know, I think a lot of companies are really focused on the operational efficiency side, and I think consumers now think of that as a hygiene factor. Look, I don't, I don't give my 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 cell phone provider any credit because I can make a call, right? You know, I and because they get my bill right. I do give them credit for interacting with me in a way that doesn't interrupt how I feel and make sure that they're appropriate in their communications with me. Yeah. So, you know, so I think there's a couple of things. One, one is, you know, when you start thinking about customer journeys, as an example, if you can now start understanding the correlation between an event and sequences of events along that journey with behavior, you're now able to start building out journeys, which can drive your strategic outcomes, but in a way that provides more choice to the consumer, mm -hmm. right? So, so rather than trying to force fit people, you're now right. saying, well, how do I make people feel? And how do I make people, what, you know, how do I want to make people feel? And you can start building empathetic experiences around that. And then obviously 
once you've done that, start measuring, make adjustments, your usual processes for right. any form of sort of change management program. Um, the, the other sort of primary use case is, of course, you know, marketing. Um, and I think there's an awful lot of talk nowadays around, you know, customer experience in marketing, empathetic mm -hmm. marketing. And, you know, certainly when we ran the original POC on this, you know, we, we frankly saw some results. It's why it encouraged me, honestly, to get, in, get involved in it. And I'm so passionate about it. But yeah. we, we ran it in a very major organization. Um, with a customer base in the tens of millions. So hence, you know, I feel very at liberty to use the word at scale. Um, yeah, as you should. <laughs> so I'm, I'm pretty confident on that front, albeit, uh, you know, albeit being the cynical, uh, the cynical guy who's been in the industry for too long. But, um, you know, it's, um, but really what they were able to do is start segmenting customers in a different way. So you've got your mm -hmm. traditional methods of segmentation, but now you start adding in a layer of what we call empographic segmentation. So segmenting with empathy and building that into your existing models. You can now start saying, okay, well, Dan and Jonathan may well be in exactly the same segment. And so traditionally we would just pump marketing material at Dan and Jonathan equally. Mm -hmm. right. So what we can do is we can say, well, actually, based on the demographic segmentation, we know that Dan is actually far more receptive to buying, and Jonathan's very ambivalent, which is exactly what this organisation did. <clears throat> and so, consequently, what they saw was that when when they did this, they pushed um, sales literature effectively to try and upsell people to only those people who were receptive on an IB testing they saw an, an increase in revenue of 20%, oh, and wow. also a, a, a reduction in marketing spend by 40%, because of course you're actually only marketing to a far smaller segment. So it was quite a, quite a remarkable outcome. And the other thing that sort of came out of it was this, this group of people who were not really, um, they, they wouldn't be your traditional suspects for churn, if you like. You know, if you look at your churn model, these were not really people who were kind of displaying the traditional, you know, traditional mm. things of churn. They were ambivalent. They never responded to marketing material or any form of interaction with the organization. Right, right. Um, but, the, but the predictions that we ran said, well, actually, these people in the next few months are quite likely to start exhibiting behaviors of churn. Hmm. What they did was start and put in loyalty campaigns really based around, right, this is why the brand is valuable to you, right? We're not just a commodity provider. We're valuable. This is how we can help you in life moments. And then two interesting thing, things happened. One was that this group of people started to become more economically active. Um, and whilst I don't have any measures on that, it was it was very prevalent, and the organisation said to us very clearly that look, we're seeing very much an uptick in terms of activity from this group of people who have previously been ambivalent, based on the loyalty marketing campaigns we put in place. But also, as a byproduct of those campaigns, the churn in that group of people also reduced by ten percent. Oh, so whether you're looking at growth as an organization, whether you're looking at reduction in churn as a metric, you know, and I think the important thing here is that, you know, we give organizations you know, the ability to really focus on customer lifetime value through both growth and reduction. <clears throat> so that's where we're, where, where, we're, where we're focused. Interesting. Interesting. So one question I had, obviously, sort of, you know, detractors, promoters, you know, kind of comes into the play here. So are you saying that even people that maybe identify as a promoter under this model that you have would be identified as, hey, they're likely, 
they would show up in, in the churn portion, you think? Or, no, or they, traditionally it'd be like, hey, you're a detractor, you're probably likely to leave, right? But maybe it sounds like what you're saying is even there's people that are like, you know, promoters or even passives that maybe would show up in this model and then you'd market to them differently. Is that is that yeah. fair? Let's let's put it in those terms and think about it like this. Okay, so I, I can very generally, you're taking me back to my sat metrics days here, Dan. Right? Sorry, I know, I know. MPS, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but think about it like this. I, I can be generally a promoter of a brand, right? Yeah. And I can have all that experience with you and and I'm still broadly going to be a promoter of that brand. It's not it's not enough to dent my dent my loyalty to you. Mm-hmm. However, I could have experienced a couple of events in the last two months that probably have a you know, slightly bad taste in my mouth. So, look, am, am I going to start not using you completely? Absolutely not. However, mm-hmm. if you send me something to try and upsell me at that point, right? I'm not going to buy, right? Yeah. And, I almost need a kind of arm around the shoulder to say, look, you know, we've, we've got you back here. We know you're a promoter, and, and this is why we're still a valuable brand to you. So that's how you, that's how you would deal with me empathetically in that instance. Um, okay. Now, the group of people that I'm talking about there in terms of you know, that, that churn reduction example that I gave, if you put it in MPS terms, would be probably people on the cusp of being a detractor and a passive. Mm-hmm. And so actually moving people on that cusp is actually a very valuable thing to do because honestly in, in most of the organizations that we'll be dealing with and do deal with you know they're, they're typically commoditized organizations with a focus on cltv you know financial services telco etc right and, and so uh, you know generally i'm pretty ambivalent about it as i say but if if i can just nudge them ever so slightly and this is where a lot of the behavioral science comes into play mm-hmm. and i think very, very interesting in terms of sort of UX experience design. You know, how do you start thinking about behavioral nudges and what have you to move people along? And I wouldn't be professed to be an expert in that side of the world at all, but it's, um, you know, it starts to get fascinating. Um, But equally, I also think people can think of it in quite a scary manner, right? It's like, yeah. This is not in your face, Crystal. I know. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I think the key here is look, we're actually trying to make the world a better place because what we're trying to say is look, we're giving brands the ability to not bother you when you don't want to be bothered, right? And And when you are receptive to something, to give you more choice, to give you better options. And so I think there's this whole ethical question, you know, we, we, we talk a lot about sort of, you know, ethics in terms of this kind of predictive behavioral analytics. Right. Um, and, um, you know, and the vast majority of brands, I think is a, you know, there may be some kind of horrible sub-segment of brands somewhere that I probably wouldn't want to do business with, but, um, you know, but, but, you know, big global brands understand ethics, they understand how to, um, you know, how they should behave. And I say the ethos is to use this to increase choice for consumers, not to, you know, have some kind of, you know, dark art that moves right. them from point to another. Right. And no, I think I think that makes a lot of sense. Do you see, do you see this being like a, a CX program, you know, about traditional or is this a digital empathy program that they would implement? I have a secondary question to that too. Oh, yeah, go ahead, Crystal. Uh, would you also, I'm thinking of use cases like um, Southwest, where their CS team and their social team are some of the like most, po- like they are at the top of the like 
priority yeah. matrix at Southwest because of their engagement on Twitter and Facebook and in those social networks. But mm. so much of that is more anecdotal empathy because it's based on the per like on the uh, sales rep or the CST person. Mm. How do you then like put those like anecdotal modeling into like how do you model those interactions into digital empathy? Right. Okay. So, um, so I think I think there are almost two different things, Crystal. Because I think I think the the I mean you're absolutely right. The empathy on that kind of one to one basis, and the, and the South Central team is awesome. Right. I mean, as are many of them around the world. I don't lie to them anymore, but I still like enjoy their brand. Well, I love Southwest. <laughs> it's my airline of choice for hopping across the states. Um, but the um, but but I think yeah. Is, is an individual empathetic um, and are their social teams empathetic? Absolutely. And they do a great job of that. And I think they, they obviously screen and train very well for that. So I think there's this sort of question of how do you, how do you train people to be empathetic? And you see an awful lot of that in contact centers, right? It's a very, very good way there. Mm-hmm. And so we're not, we, we don't provide companies with training around empathy. We don't, we don't, uh, at this point in our evolution, but frankly, we're a startup, so roll forward five years, who knows what we'll be doing, right? <laughs> um, so, but, but at this point in our evolution, we're not, um, we're not training people around empathy because I think there are lots of organizations who do that probably far better than I could ever do it or my team could. Um, what we do, however, do is give the organization, so in those examples, the social teams and the, the uh, CS teams, the knowledge around what people care about, what what is so let me give you an example, Crystal. Perhaps you could you could envisage an instance whereby I've got an emotional score on Crystal as Crystal calls into the contact center. We know Crystal is either happy and receptive to buying something, perhaps oh. needs to be routed to a more empathetic agent. So mm-hmm. it starts to get very granular based on on the emotional score around you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, does that then just like I mean we talk about like CX programs and we talk about CST teams and we talk about social teams and it really seems like it more needs to be like a holistic approach to the consumer journey than being like, Oh, I'm going to like marketing's going to score them this and then they're going to get handed off here and then they're going to get handed off here. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think that, um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a far more sort of philosophical discussion about the sort of future of CX, right? Because, look, you, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, C, CX, whether we like it or not, is a broken broken industry. I, and, I, and I think that yes. there are... but but it's it's an amazing industry but i think people have kind of in some respects forgotten what they're there for you know we're we're there to provide Mm -hmm. and organize our our companies around what is great for the clients and i think you know the our our clients expect an organization certainly you think about what we've all been through with the pandemic the socio-political events of the last few years you know our expectations have increased dramatically on organizations. And we want to do business with organizations who have, you know, a social con- conscience, who look after their entire ecosystem of stakeholders, not just the shareholder. Um, and, and I think that's where the disconnect of CX comes, Crystal, because companies haven't quite caught up with that yet. And that's why, look, frankly, I could be ahead of the market because I think we give companies a lot of data to enable them to start mm. thinking more holistically around it. But um, 
you know, I, th I think that a lot of CX programs, um, certainly the contact center side of it, is very focused on operational efficiency versus really understanding what does a client want. Um, and so I think there's a disconnect in it because, because things have moved so fast over the last 12, 18 months, you know? And I think consumer thinking has changed so dramatically. I mean, you look at all the surveys. I mean, I think something like coming up 90% of people say that empathy is the most important factor in loyalty. Yeah. yeah, organizations are trying to improve their operational efficiency. And so I think part of it is speed. And when you're dealing with big companies, it's it's hard to turn that tank around, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, you see this as a, as a like digital empathy program or platform that someone would implement at, at a company? Is that how you see looking yeah. at it, Jonathan? Yeah, the way I'm thinking of it is um, I think of this more as sort of back-end system because it does have multiple multiple uses, right? And, mm -hmm. and you know, I think that you know me, me coming in and saying look here's another login and a bit of desktop real estate you need to give up for an empathy score is um you know is, is probably not going to be well received but I, but mm -hmm. i do think that you know people have invested very very heavily in terms of you know the martech stack crm cdps obviously voc platforms like yourself mm -hmm. yep. and, and what i see us being able to do is ingest data from those types of platforms that are already there, transform it, add another layer of detail, and then push it back into the, right. the VOC platforms in order to drive additional value from the investments you've already made. So, so you know, I, I certainly don't see us as either competitive to any of these platforms. I see us very much as, you know, adding value, another layer of value, and allowing you to start to do very different things with it. Um, right. Right. Again, it opens up that world of, is it a program? And yeah, I think ultimately they will be. Um, I think at this point in its evolution, it's probably too early to say, Dan, but a lot yeah. of the stuff working on around the sort of methodology and you know, how do you build out a program, I think is, is very relevant. And I think it's something that you know, we need to develop as an organization and as a, as a category as we build out. Right, it makes sense. It sounds like it's very complementary to anything that a company is already doing right like absolutely absolutely yeah. I, and because i because i think there there are yeah there is great tech out there and and i think yeah. you know, and there are a couple of missing gaps and so we're trying to just plug the gap got it makes sense makes sense well hey jonathan i think that that's a great spot to end it today no thanks for inviting me very kind of you take care yeah. of yourself all right Bye. thanks jonathan Nice. That's a whole new, whole new ball game there, Crystal. New concept. I know. I also felt so called out. There's people who could use this for, for nefarious. <laughs> <laughs> I knew where your mind was going, though. You know. Um, Thanks so much for listening to the MRX Influencers podcast. If you want more information about Question Pro, go to questionpro.com. If you want to follow me, feel free to do so on LinkedIn or Twitter. Until next time, we'll see you later.